Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm Adam Todd Brown. Who are you? I'm Fizza Dasani. We are your hosts. Fizza, how's it going? Oh, it's going it's going well, all things considered, you know? We are talking about Jonestown. Not just this week, but we're going to be talking about Jonestown for a while on this podcast. The original Kool-Aid drinkers. That's where the phrase comes from. Even though it wasn't Kool-Aid. I know. They bring that up in the documentary we're talking about. Off-brand Kool-Aid. Yeah, which was, <laughs> Flavor-Aid was pretty good, too. I, oh, it was? I've never had it. I fucked with it when I was a kid. So we're we're talking about Jonestown. What we're going to eventually talk about is this book called Was Jonestown a CIA Medical Experiment? It's a book that's yeah. very hard to find. The author of the book is a very mysterious, shadowy figure. And that book is 585 fucking pages long. So it's going to take a few episodes to get through. The, this Jonestown conspiracy that we're going to cover starts at the end of World War II. That's how far back in history it goes. What's that year? What year did it? It was right after World War II, so 50s? Yeah, well, it would have been mid-40s. The war ended in 46, right? I don't know how we would find out. Yeah, 45. So yeah, late 40s, maybe early 50s. Okay. So it goes back a long, long ways. And we're going to cover the entire theory as told in that book. But today, we're just covering the official version of events. Every time I say Jonestown, I just want to say it like, Jonestown, Jonestown. It's a fun name. Yeah. He wasn't a fun person, though. He seemed like a very unpleasant person. How much did you know about Jonestown before this documentary? Um, I mean, I knew like the broad strokes, but I mean, again, it was like the bullet points of it was before 9-11, the largest group of Americans dying. Um, and then it, I did, it was um, initially, I, I did remember being told it was a mass suicide. So I was, it was disturbing to see that, you know, it, it was a massacre and that a third of the, um, the victims were children. Yeah. So there's no consent there. So all automatically one third of who who was killed were like didn't have the ability to make that choice themselves. Yeah. I don't know where I learned about Jonestown, but it's a thing I've kind of always been familiar with. It happened two years after I was born, maybe three years. Okay. So I, I was alive for it, but I obviously don't remember it. But I, I for some reason feel like I remember asking my mom about it and her just being like, fucking poison some people, man. What do you want? So it was 78, 1978. Yeah, I mean, it was it was such a big deal. There were so many people. It was over 900 people. Right. Over 900 people. So I can imagine that people were reeling, Americans would be reeling from, for that, from that for years. So I, I could see how it's still in the zeitgeist and you as a child would have heard about it. Yeah, and it's... It still is like we're yeah. we're covering the official version of events by way of an ABC News documentary called Truth and Lies, Jonestown, Paradise Jones. Lost. Sorry, <laughs> Jonestown. Don't go past old Jonestown. Don't stop for gas there. <laughs> it's not gas. That's Kool-Aid, but not real Kool-Aid. Although Jonestown um, was in Guyana. So that's a long ride. A long, long drive. Uh, a shorter flight, but <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I figure if we're going for a really straightforward telling of events, you can't get more straightforward than ABC News. Yeah, I don't think the word CIA is mentioned once in this. Oh, really? And it seems like the CIA did have at least some connections to Jonestown, if nothing else. And it seems like that would come up, but it also seems like it wouldn't come up in an ABC News documentary. Yeah, I don't think that would I could I couldn't see that as part of the mainstream official report. 
that's being released to the general public. I still don't know what people think the CIA does. Like, they, I mean, we spend so much money on the CIA. They're such a huge outfit that operates in so many countries. It's like, what do you think they're doing? Nothing? They get, they get information and they don't do anything with it until something happens. Oh, yeah, we knew about that. <laughs> yeah, well, they do. Yeah, they do that. That's how our entire government works, though. So. Yeah, wow. Did you, one of the people they interview in this documentary is Stephen Jones, or it might have been Stephen. They don't ever clarify. They just yeah. have that weird spelling of his first name. And it seems like he kind of still believes in what they were doing at Jonestown. Oh, okay. So that was, he has, well, he has several sons. Which of his sons was this one? The His biological white son? His biological white son, which I love that his biological white son is named Stefan and his adopted <laughs> black son is named Jim Jones Jr. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, it's, I guess it's, it's hard to be unbiased when the man is your biological father, but yeah, I mean, you know, again, I think sometimes it's hard to be honest with ourselves with unpalatable truths like that. But, um, but I mean, come on. I bet he was so mad about that Jim Jones Jr. thing most of his life. And if you ask him now, he's probably like, really dodged a bullet there, not being called Jim Jones Jr. Uh, I, there's a really rapper named off. Jim Jones. Yes, Dipset for life. Dipset? <laughs> uh, Jim Jones is great. I Wait, like. the Jim Jones, Jim Jones the rapper is also black. So <laughs> the rapper, Stephen, I mean. Stefan just has a, what if that's a him? chip on his shoulder. What if that is Jim Jones Jr.? Oh, a rapper. shit. It's Reinvented not. himself. Yeah. It's that not, would be hilarious. Though. And there's... Dipset? There's video of him returning to Guyana 20 years later in this documentary. And he says he's there to explore the sickness in the people who killed themselves. And that's, that's a controversial statement right there. That's a slap in the face. That's it, a slap in the face to everyone who was murdered. Like, maybe some people took the Kool-Aid out of their own volition, but it was documented... That, well, a third of them were kids, and then several were injected. And if they didn't want to take it, they were forced to. And then also, if you if you tried to run away, they'd kill your ass. Yeah, you would get you risked being killed with a bow and arrow if you ran away, which uh, yeah, just, that's a warrior's death right there. But still, oh, dude, I don't want it. Crossbows. They were using crossbows. Yeah, crossbows. That's what it was. Like this is some fucking Game of Thrones type yeah. of shit. Planet of the Apes or some shit. Oh my God, crossbows are no joke. And yeah, they also, it's really up in the air. Like even if the people, even the people who took it willingly, they took it under the influence of a cult leader and someone who was controlling their thinking. So That's even calling them, yeah, even calling them suicides feels sketchy to me. I mean, I think it's beyond sketchy. I think it's a slap in the face because like being under the influence of a cult is a psychological condition. Yeah, it's so interesting that now this is becoming a thing with QAnon where people yeah. are like, I think we got to get a cult deprogrammer in here to talk to Uncle Rick. He is way too far gone for us to help him. You know what's crazy, though, is like, OK, back in Jonestown, you know, people weren't as interconnected. So, you know, there were pockets of these people and they communicated in ways that were maybe like, you know, not as effective or efficient, but now like QAnon, it could, people could be anywhere. Like, you know, every, every QAnon member is its own sleeper. cell. <laughs> Kinda. Yeah. It's freaky. So let's talk about the, there's this interview audio where in the beginning of the documentary, it's Jim Jones from the early seventies and this church he formed, it was called people's temple. It formed in Indianapolis. So a, a long, long way from Guyana. Yeah. And there's this audio of him that makes it seem like because he was such an outcast as a child, it made him really in tune with the needs of black people. And as a result, a lot of his message was more racial justice, social justice than religion, even though he was also very religious. And it one of the quotes you hear about him in this documentary and that you hear all the time in general is he had charisma. And I don't know, did he? I mean, if he can get a whole that many people to follow him to Guyana, 
and like he was rubbing elbows with politicians while running a cult like he, he a lot of you know he probably and he's a, he's a what is it called um an apex predator type he's a predator type. Right. so the thing is is like even though he you might be able to get his number when you first meet him as someone who's extremely manipulative if you are vulnerable um he can find his way in through the chinks and give you sort of what you need for him to be able to you know run run the show it's it's so dangerous i think when when people with unpure intentions use positive messages to to cover their um their intent their their sort of evil intent i don't even like using the word evil but it's you know it was it wasn't for the good of the people the whole social justice movement all of that like you're sort of looking you're in, in a way he's sort of taking advantage of marginalized populations who are more vulnerable so it's like how calculating was he did his did this ever actually start as a movement for for that stuff or was it just the perfect in for for this guy in the early parts of the documentary when they're showing footage of the people's temple especially when they were in indianapolis everyone does seem relatively happy and it seems like they are all kind of moving toward one common goal but then people start defecting and telling the police and the media about what things are like inside Jonestown. So it starts to kind of crumble. Eventually it gets too big for them to be in Indianapolis anymore. So they move at first to Redwood Valley. They move to Redwood Valley, California in 1965. He convinces 150 of his most fervent followers to follow him there. So he chose that city because, yeah, Esquire magazine named it as one of the nine best places in the event of a nuclear apocalypse. It's not the worst criteria to use when you're selecting a home. (laughs) I also Um, forgot to mention he and his wife adopted a bunch of kids. They already had a biological kid or two, but then they adopted a couple Asian kids, a couple black kids, mostly for show, mostly to make his message seem even more real. Their family makes uh, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt look like reserved in their (laughs) adoptions. Yeah, they really swung for the fences. And Jim Jones Jr. said a really interesting thing in this documentary where he mentioned that his dad would always refer to him as my adopted black son. So not just as my son, he would always say my adopted black son, and he would say it as if it was a thing to be proud of, but like he should be proud of it. Like Jim Jones was boasting basically, yeah. but even when he was talking to his kid, he so was it's doing like a that. prop. His kids are props. Right. And so they move to California in 1965, and this is one of the points where I feel like any responsible documentary about Jonestown should bring up what else was happening in the United States in this area at the time. And they don't. Yeah. And that's MK ultra, which was very active in the exact same locations. Jim Jones moves to, Mm. especially San Francisco. San Francisco is where the CIA, among other things, during the counterculture movement, set up a brothel that they would just use to drug people and then see what kind of stuff they could get on tape. Blackmail. Yeah. Potential blackmail. Blackmail. Against like powerful people. Medical experiments. They were so involved. Like MKUltra, we've said it so many times, happened at, I believe, 140 colleges and universities across the U.S. and Canada. So that was just the CIA doing experiments on people most of the time without their knowledge. So when I say that we're building up to covering a book called Was Jonestown a CIA Medical Experiment? It's not really that crazy because all of this stuff is happening at the same time. Jonestown is or the People's Temple is becoming a thing at the exact same time MKUltra is really becoming active in San Francisco. That's quite a coincidence. Quite a coincidence. So yeah, the MK Ultra is happening at this time. The Vietnam War is happening. Civil rights riots are happening all across the country. It's a very tumultuous time. 
and the people's temple rises up in the midst of all this. And I don't know, I could picture the government having some sort of interest in a movement that's planning to take a bunch of relatively radical people, not just radical, but also clearly very easy to influence and just getting them out of the country in some way. There were probably several Jonestowns type things that happened that just didn't end in mass suicide. Yeah. I mean, in other words, there were lots of red flags. Right. And in addition to being progressive and charismatic, Jim Jones also claimed to be able to perform acts of faith healing. Yeah, he hired one of his own employees um, to pretend that she was unable to walk and then, you know, quote unquote, healed her publicly. And that was one of his miracles. Wow. Someone doesn't have much faith. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah, that part of the documentary is crazy. I think also, like, you know, it's important to clarify, like, he used progressive views, I think, to his advantage instead of actually being progressive because it doesn't seem he had any he didn't actually have the community's best interest oh right yeah definitely but it's that that rhetoric yeah giving off that impression that he was progressive is what really endeared a lot of people to him yeah especially at the time you know with the counterculture stuff going on during vietnam like I can see how people would really sort of be drawn towards him if it was it was a tumultuous time. It was a very tumultuous time, and it was an especially tumultuous time for black people. Good thing that's passed. And <laughs> this fucking country, man, ridiculous. Right. So yeah, black it's lives not matter. black lives matter. Yes. Yeah, it's not hard to understand. It's never hard to understand why people fall into the arms of a cult. It's it all ends up being that. They per- they have a need that they perceive as being fulfilled by that group, and they just want to feel some connection. Yeah, it's people who are susceptible. I don't know if I've ever told you, but I have some experience of sort of accidentally being pulled into a cult. Oh, fascinating. What yeah. what happened? Um, essentially, I was targeted by the cult leader, the charismatic cult leader. We went to school together, and you know, at the time, he didn't have that kind of power. Um, but I knew he had a lot of resources because of the family he came from. So he basically got to know me. Um, I think this person has antisocial personality disorder, so he truly was a predator, or is, and essentially made friends with me, um, got close. I think it was all based on, you know, he used he used the tricks in the book. Like, use, um, a, he, he made up a story and started crying about something tragic that happened in his life, which I found out later was false. And immediately, I remember that was the moment that I sort of, like, let him in. So the trust was formed there. And then as he became more and more powerful... There was this sort of like friend group and he really began to operate like a cult leader. And eventually I defected before um, I think he got um, more powerful because he, this person is someone who works in the entertainment industry or did. I don't know what's going on with him now. Um, But yeah, it's a lot um, after I left, I just heard it got insane. So um, yeah, again, you know, the typical cult leader stuff, manipulating um, sex with the people in the group, um, uh, belittling them, like psychological damage, emotional abuse. Um, You know, like I'm not an unintelligent person, but I was young and I was in a new city and, you know, I was susceptible because I didn't know that I had never met a sociopath. So, you know, I didn't know that anomalies like this existed. I just assumed like, you know, you can level with all people. And there are dangerous people who are fundamentally deceptive, like Jim Jones. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to believe that there are people like that in the world. And that's also understandable. Like you want to have some faith in humanity. I don't think people like Jim Jones are proof that you shouldn't have faith in humanity. But you should definitely be skeptical. I'm going to be honest. I'm skeptical of anyone who's got just too many friends. I'm like, whoa, what are you what are you planning? I know. Right. Like, I mean, I think it's just, you know, most people are not sociopaths, but just know that the anomalies exist and there are 
just know, you know, it's to protect yourself when you see certain red flags or certain behaviors. I think one thing that sociopaths do like a telltale sign is they try to garner sympathy. So if someone's perpetually sick or going through something or, you know, making illnesses up to garner empathy, that could be a red flag. Otherwise, it's just it's hard to prove people's intent and motive without a collection of their actions. But, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it goes too far by the time, you know, the person can be stopped. One of the things you see with cults like Jonestown and one of the things you saw with Jonestown is eventually there becomes this push to keep people in. Yeah. Because once people start leaving and you always wonder like, why, why won't you just let them leave? Well, because you're abusing people. And if they leave, they're going to get out and tell people. And that's kind of what you see with Jim Jones is he keeps taking these different measures to keep people from leaving. What's interesting about cult leaders is they always sort of tend to position themselves as the fix, the God figure. Like you need me. You can't like, and, and they make you need me. That's the dynamic that um, is developed. They make the follower feel like they need the person to survive. So, you know, psycho, the psychology of, um, getting into a cult is fascinating. It's complicated. And I think it's more simple than just saying, oh, that's not going to happen to me because it's not about intelligence necessarily. You know, it's about a predator targeting individuals and, and just putting them in psychological chains, essentially. You see him do a lot of that in this document. Well, you don't see him do it, but they talk about it a lot. Like the things he would do in particular to his followers because really minus if if you take the mass suicide at the end out of this then the people's temple is kind of a basic cult there's not the only real standout thing about them is their leader who was an especially eccentric cult leader but cult leaders are always eccentric but with jim jones One of the things that I found really interesting, when he moved to San Francisco, there's still all these images in the documentary of this commune and them like working in fields. And I'm like, man, San Francisco was different back then. I don't know where you would find a fucking open field in San Francisco now. But I wouldn't know where to find an apartment (laughs) in San Francisco. Not an affordable one. Holy shit. Yeah. And yeah, what he was doing during this time in San Francisco when he's trying to, when he realizes he can't get people, he can't let people leave. The first thing he tries is blackmail. He'll bring in new members and just make them sign a blank piece of paper. And he'll be like, we can write anything above this and it will show that you signed it. And wow. that's like an admission. It's like, yeah, you're selling your soul to him. And that's like, if someone's in that position, they're obviously vulnerable uh, it's he, he wanted everyone to call him father. Right. He wanted to be called father. He would isolate people from their families. That's another sign you should always watch for. Because the thing about a cult, not all of them are going to have been caught by the time yeah. they come your way. Sometimes you're just going to have to figure it out on your own. The only reason Nexium was found out is because someone responded to a job ad that they thought was very weird. Yeah. And as they looked into it more, they were like, oh, shit, that's a cult. Yeah. But those motherfuckers operated pretty much unimpeded for years and years and years and years. So if you're in a situation and the the person at the head of the room is saying, look, your family aren't believers. And because they don't believe, then you should probably just distance yourself from them and listen to me. You want to be very wary of that. And I am talking to you. QAnon followers, if you watch a documentary and they say, hey, don't read any media outlets, delete all your social media, just follow people who are speaking the truth like us, you should be worried. That's what they're doing. They are isolating you. Yeah. Being in a cult is is like being in addiction. Like once you're in, it's just like, you know, it just takes what it takes to get out. Like it's it's. Like there's a psychological hold. So it's, yeah, it is, it's better to learn from others' mistakes in that situation because cult life can be so damaging in, in ways that you don't know how long it'll take to just even move through some of that. Um, this dude, Jim Jones, was like, he was like raping 
and I, maybe some were consensual, but fucking and raping followers left and right, men, women, boys, girls, so the children, that's rape, you know? And then he would say he was doing it for the cause. Oh, yeah, like he he had to do it. He didn't deserve it. He said, I don't even want to do this. I have to do this. Like, (laughs) what is this? What? Who? Who is this dude? Like how people like it's crazy. These anomalies, the anomalies of people who like have the, you know, have the capability of doing this stuff and then, you know, figure out a means to do so. And it's like those people are so dangerous. So and and he studied them. That's the thing is they study each other also. He read Hitler's shit. Right. And the government was studying this at the time, too. Like, this was all the rage at the time. (laughs) Was For some reason, the 60s were all about trying to control people's minds. It's a very weird time. Like, what they teach you in school is that it was all about peace and love. But not really. Like, the 60s into part of the 70s are just a time when the American government was fucking running amok over our rights and doing really horrific shit to its citizens. Like we look back on the, the Woodstock stuff and the civil rights movement, but I feel like that stuff all pales in comparison to how goddamn evil our government was after world war two. We adopt, that's one of the episodes in this series of podcasts is about operation paperclip where we basically adopted a bunch of Nazis after world war two. Yeah. One of the theories that's brought up in the was Jonestown, a CIA medical experiment book, is that at some point during World War II, the Nazis basically convinced the United States that communism was the real enemy and that they should figure out a way to end this military war and then team up to fight communism. And we definitely brought a bunch of Nazis into the fold after World War II And we did completely focus on fighting communism after that, even though we were fighting side by side with communism against the Nazis. So So, I don't know. Well, that's the thing is it's just like who's pulling the puppet strings? And is this drama just, um, you know, manufactured? When I say drama, that includes like sort of the pain and suffering of humans. So that's all manufactured for the sake of power, control for a few people. Yeah, what's... Interesting to me is we talk so much about all these crazy medical experiments the Nazis did when they were in power. But then as soon as World War II ends, we start doing that shit. Like we start doing it left and right. That's a little suspicious to me. It feels like everything started with like Roswell. I feel like there was a Nazi in the Roswell ship and we were like, oh shit, the Nazis, fuck. The aliens are on their side. We have no choice. Who knows? Well, notice, yeah, like it is, it is the same era, right? What is it, yeah. 50s? Uh, Roswell, I think, was the 40s also. 40s, 40s, 50s. And around that time is when um, I think a lot of sources say contact with, with aliens were happening with between the between governments and, and aliens. Yeah. So that's another interesting coincidence. And, and that all happens around the time we drop the first nuclear weapon. In the history of warfare, which that's another theory that aliens somewhere were like, whoa, shit, what did they just do? And <laughs> that's why we started seeing aliens after that. They're like, these idiots are going to kill themselves. Did they really do that? Oh, my God. July 7th, 1947 is when the Roswell crash happened. We're like so, in their hamster cage and eating each other. And they're like, no, no, stop yeah. it. <laughs> So, yeah, even by the point of moving to San Francisco, he's got this group completely under his control and he's doing it with all of the hottest and latest mind control techniques of the day. All, and some all of your the grand- classics as well. Yeah, all, all your grandfather's favorites. <laughs> he also does it with public beatings. During meetings, if someone is accused of doing something that Jim Jones didn't like, he would bring them up and have someone beat them in front of the entire crowd. And they have audio of these beatings in this documentary and they sound pretty harsh. And he is just a chuckling through the whole thing. His laugh. Once I heard that laugh, I would be like, I'm not spending an extended amount of time around this guy. What if he laughs a bunch? (laughs) It was creepy. It was very, very creepy. And I mean, like, 
that's not a stable person who's, you know, getting a kick and a thrill out of human suffering, you know, like that's, that's a psychopath. And then also, you know, you're, 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 he's using it as a tool. Public beatings are going to only discourage and scare others from you know, doing the same. This guy is a monster. And if you can believe it, around this time, he starts getting a lot of defectors for some reason. <laughs> you think? <laughs> and you got to you gotta realize that's why you don't start your cult in a major city. Yeah, some people's, like, some people's boundaries are a little loose, but eventually <laughs> you'll get to a person's boundary and then it'll be like, I mean, that's what happens to sort of everyone when they realize, oh, this is too much. I got to, you know... So I can see how something like that would wake wake folks up a little. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> so at this point, he's getting all of these defectors. And the thing about setting up your cult in a major city is to escape, you just kind of got to get outside. Yeah. You don't have to do much else. Once Please you get outside, do- you can just run to a cafe and be like, hey, call the police. Big, big, big trouble happening in that building behind us. <laughs> yeah. Jim Jones hated that. He hated that people were escaping and going out and telling the media what was happening. So he decides to move. But where? But first, he starts taking people in the San Francisco group through suicide practices. As early as 1973, he starts floating the idea of staging a mass suicide to protest capitalism and just generally spread the group's message, which capitalism doesn't fucking care. (laughs) it's not like capitalism like imagine if capitalism was a living breathing thing it would be a hideous goddamn monster (laughs) that would hear about these 900 suicides and be like i don't give a fuck how much money did we make off of that yeah and if it's profitable then you don't need to jump because we'll push you exactly so like some of the ideas he was floating around were like jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, getting on a plane and shoot the pilot in the head, which is very disturbing. Like Jesus Christ. And like just all options were on the table for this dude. That Golden Gate Bridge thing would have been kind of cool to see. Yeah. Like if 900 <laughs> people jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge at once. I mean, it'd be nice to know if it, like, you know, they were jumping into like a swimming pool or something, not like something that would like if, it was, if there was a Golden Gate Bridge, but it wasn't that high. <laughs> yeah or i don't know it would be a very interesting visual for sure a stunning visual he also starts running mock poisoning drills around this time where he the first one he rounds up all the followers and tells them to meet up in this one location at the camp and tells them all to drink this kool-aid and they do it without question because he's Jim Jones and he's like, Haha, suckers, you've all been poisoned. And they're like, oh, really? And he goes, nah, just joking. That's fucked up. That is insanely fucked up. Stuff like that always reminds me of this girl I went to high school with who for one hour believed she had full blown AIDS. Oh, my God. She got a blood, t- just a routine blood test. And the doctor called and was like, I'm sorry, you have fucking AIDS. You're like, kidding. AIDS, AIDS. And then called her an hour later and we're like, whoops, we read the test results wrong. Oh, You're my fine. God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. She was like a like a kid. She, I think, was 12 at the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's pretty brutal. I'm, like, they're lucky that they didn't get sued. Jim Jones could have just done that. <laughs> like, that would have traumatized people, too. So, like, after all this talking about the mass suicide there are people who are still on board they are still you know in in the on the team most people are still on board yeah which is crazy well it's a it's a telltale like sign of just how devastatingly um uh, powerful cult cults can be to this the psyche you know like how it affects the psyche because that's that's crazy it is crazy it's crazy people are down to do crazy shit that like you know, maybe if they were um, in therapy, they'd be able to recognize that that's that's not really benefiting them. Unfortunately, Jim Jones takes steps to make sure they can't do that. <laughs> yes, because so. at this point, people are so so far in. He's running mock poisoning drills and telling people eventually they're going to have to kill themselves, and they're still there. So. He can make people do whatever he wants, basically. So his idea to stop that defector problem is to just move everyone to Guyana, which is 
apparently an English-speaking nation in South America. So, of course, once he gets everyone there, he's going to take their passports and they won't be able to leave, basically. And he, he moves everyone there. He calls this place Jonestown after himself. And at first, people mostly seem happy. They're, they're growing crops. They're raising animals. They're living off the land. And Jim Jones is filming propaganda videos to send to people who have stayed behind in San Francisco. And this, despite the fact that what was really happening was they were not able to grow enough food to feed all the people who were there. They, it's at one point they say they were surviving on rice with powdered milk and then it had weevils in it. It's horrible. I don't, I don't even know what a weevil is. I think it's alive, like visually, like you can see it. It's a living creature that you can see with your bare eyes. So, yeah, yeah, I know it's a bug of some sort, but <laughs> ew, definitely don't want it in my rice. Yeah, yeah, it's not my cup of tea. And in 1977, because by this point, well, by this point, Jim Jones is a pretty well-known figure because he's like that's that's inevitable. He's very active in the San Francisco counterculture scene. He's got this massive amount of followers who follow him everywhere he goes. So people are interested. And in 1977, a magazine called New West runs this expose on Jim Jones. And they talk about his drug use and all of the scandalous shit he's getting up to at his compounds. And at that point, he's like, everyone has to go to Guyana. Everyone in San Francisco, you have to leave right now. And they fucking do it. They all get up at once. And he sa- they say in the documentary that he had them kind of stagger their flights a little bit so it didn't seem too obvious, but pretty much everyone hightails it out of the country once that magazine article comes out, which, bad sign. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's like, again, a cult leader trying to say that, like, the truth is fake news. Right. And these leaders, like, you know, as rough around the edges as some of them may be, you know, they sociopaths are known to be uh, very charming, charismatic, and know how to play people, know how to work people. So it's not uncommon that, I mean, it's not uncommon to see those dangerous people rubbing elbows with, with leaders or being the leaders, like in mainstream, in the mainstream until like, you know, their dirty laundry is aired. Like it was here in 1977 in the U S magazine. So during this time, once he gets everyone to move, he starts getting more and more paranoid and, He takes everyone's, there's no telephones, there's no televisions, there's no radios, there's no reading materials, no contact with family. The only entertainment in Jonestown is literally when Jim Jones would hop on a loudspeaker and just preach at people out of the blue. Oh, also when he raped people. (laughs) Well, there was that too. There was lots of rapes. And public beatings. Public beatings, those were probably fun to watch, the public beatings, I mean. A couple other quote-unquote entertainment options. Yeah, it it was rough. Meanwhile, of course, he's living in an air-conditioned cabin, and he has all the food he needs. He's got a harem of women. He's got a mini-fridge. Pepsi was a really big deal in Jonestown. They keep bringing up Pepsi, and they talk about how he had all the cold Pepsi he wanted. It would be funny if he ended all his speeches with... Brought to you by Pepsi. <laughs> Did Pepsi sponsor Jonestown? Oh my god! Yeah, he also, had air condition. <laughs> the man had air conditioning. He had air conditioning in Guyana. It's crazy. And the suicide drills. There was a big uptick in those during this time. They actually have some audio of them in the documentary, and he would just jump on that loudspeaker and be, he would say, "Attention! Attention!" <laughs> This is a quote from the documentary. They'd wake us up in the middle of the night. They'd take us to the pavilion. They'd give us cups of Kool-Aid and tell us we were about to die. He called it revolutionary suicide. And I don't think that's a thing. But he did say God wouldn't mind because you're doing it for a cause. So he coined the term revolutionary suicide. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a hard sell. He already, you know, they were already in it. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he could literally say whatever he wants. Like, I knew a sociopath who was telling people that he pulled a string and a piano fell from the sky and was like, literally, like, these are, what are the snake oil salespeople? Like, they're, <laughs> this, the psychological impact they have on their victims is just, I can't express, you know, how damaging and how deep it is. 
Yeah. And there's all these recordings of people basically vowing to commit mass suicide at some point. And this is months, at least weeks before this thing actually happens. And you hear audio of all these meetings where they're just very calmly debating this idea of, well, should we all kill ourselves? And most of the people who talk are like, yeah, I've thought about it and I've decided this is the right thing to do. And it's just so creepy how casual it all is. Yeah. The way they're talking about it, at least until the night it happens, then the conversations get a little more heated. But even then, they're like just sitting around debating, like, should we do this? Is the right thing to do? And then at this point, the group is so far removed from the outside world. They have no frame of reference. They just know what Jim tells them. They see what Jim shows them because they don't have TV, radio, all that stuff. Contact with their families. Yeah, there's there's no contact with the outside world, but word of how bad things are inside Jonestown is getting out to the outside world. And it specifically reaches a guy named Leo Ryan, who was a United States congressman. He had not too long before this looked into a scandal at Folsom Prison, and he was really famous for actually going to Folsom Prison, and I believe... He stayed for like two weeks as an inmate or maybe just a week. But if I'm not mistaken, he stayed as an inmate to get an idea of what being an inmate at Folsom prison was like. Hats off to him. Yeah, he was. People just talk about it. Leo Ryan bees about it. For a while. Mm. He did. (laughs) Because the next place he decided. Yeah, the next place he decided to take his investigative journalism was Jonestown. He rounds up this delegation. Uh, It's one staff member. There's a few journalists, some concerned family members. They all fly down to Jonestown and they're interviewing People's Temple members at first. And everyone at first swears they've never been happier. They show the food and the spread just looks wonderful. Granted, it looks like KFC. But if I was in the middle of Guyana and someone was like, you want some KFC? I'd be like, where did you get that? Yes. Yeah, I mean. I would love some. It's a stark contrast to the rice with the powder and the weevils. <laughs> the weevil fried rice. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, the clear, they were trying to put on a show here. And they do. They put on a whole talent show. The food's good. Everyone's happy. And Leo Ryan gets up in front of the crowd and is like, yeah, it seems like people are genuinely happy here. And the whole crowd gets up and cheers. And it seems like for a second there that they've pulled it off, that this congressman has showed up and they put on a good enough show that he's going to go back to the United States and be like, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. But then they try to leave. And as soon as they're getting ready to depart, this journalist reveals that the entire time he's been there, people have been handing him notes or at least a couple families handed him notes and were like we actually want to get out of here like we're being held against our will this is a nightmare please help and that kicks off this whole firestorm of people's temple followers just walking up to this delegation and being like yeah me too i want to I, please get me out of here and this is all happening with jim jones right there and it's all happening wow. on camera and I cannot imagine how unspeakably tense that situation had to be because they're almost out. All of these people that so desperately want to leave are almost out. And then someone attacks Leo Ryan with a knife, which at that point you assume you're probably going to die, but they managed to fight this knife attacker off and get out. They get these families out and they get to the airstrip where the plane is and they realize they have too many people now, and they need a second plane. It takes forever for the second plane to come. People are nervous. I don't know why just some of the people didn't go at first. Like, even just the the followers, like, yeah. let them go in that first plane. Well, I guess they weren't suspecting what was coming next. I mean, how could they? I mean, as the planes were loading, the people's, temp- the people's temper members jumped out and started firing at the crowd with assault rifles. So there were, again, you know, like, I think there was enough time for um, Jones's people who were still with him to organize and infiltrate the um, defectors. 
Yeah, what happened is they show up with the intention of taking these defectors with them, and there's only one plane, so they call the U.S. Embassy, and they're like, we need a second plane to get us out of here. And while they're waiting for that second plane, this truck full of People's Temple members show up, and they're like, uh, this looks bad. This is probably going to be bad. And sure enough, this is also all caught on video. They hop out of that truck and just start shooting with automatic weapons. And uh, Jackie Spire, who I believe is still in Congress now, but she was an aide to Leo Ryan at the time. Uh, she gets shot six times wow. and she lives. But three journalists, one defector, and Congressman Leo Ryan are all killed. It's like they almost left. That's just, you get so close and then... The second plane had landed by the time that happened. So, so close. That's like... Oh. It's movie shit. It's the kind of thing you would see in a movie because they were they were literally loading them onto the plane when that shooting started, which that's the worst. Wow. And so then in the documentary, you hear another recording of Jim Jones where he says, the congressman is dead. The congressman is dead. Do you think they're going to let us get away with this? If we can't live in peace, at least let us die in peace. Jim. So he knows he's fucked. They've just killed a U.S. congressman. Obviously, luckily, he's been planning for a moment <laughs> like this for years. I did put luckily in. There, so <laughs> yes. Uh, so he runs another white knight drill, which that's what he has taken to calling this revolutionary suicide is the white knight, which I don't know if I was in the group and it's all been about racial justice up to this point. <laughs> and then you get to the, the big finish and it's like, we're going to call it the white knight. Yeah, that sounds okay. like the KKK. Yeah. Send out the white knights. It's like, have we been tricked? Yes, you have, unfortunately. So he runs another white knight drill, except this time the poison is real. And the guards surrounding the pavilion, because when he would run these drills before, he'd have guards surround the pavilion, but he would say those guards are to keep people from getting in. But nope, turns out they're there to keep people from getting out because there are several people who try to flee as this is happening and they're just shot or shot with a crossbow, which is gnarly as fuck. Yeah, that'll do some there, awful damage. And there are some people who managed to get out. There, There's a couple of guys. There's a lawyer named Mark Lane and then another lawyer. I don't remember his name, but these two lawyers really, really hated each other. But they escaped together and hid in the woods or in the jungle throughout the night, and then that's how they got away. There's a really limited number of people who were able to escape. There's audio of, again, people standing up to object to say, hey, I kind of think we should have our own free will and maybe we should get to decide what happens. And you would expect Jim Jones would be the one to admonish this woman for this radical belief, but he doesn't have to. The entire crowd is like, shut up, lady. What are you talking about? Having individual beliefs and <laughs> free will. You crazy? We don't have free will. We're about to kill ourselves. Yeah. And so one way or another, everyone in that room is going to die. And the recordings of this, the audio is just horrifying because you're hearing kids screaming and he's basically encouraging moms to not comfort their kids as they watch their kids die. They killed the kids first. They had the parents kill their children first. So right off the bat, a good portion of them Clearly not suicides. I don't know if a kid. Yeah, if a parent is encouraging or if an adult is encouraging a child to kill themselves, that's that's murder. Yeah, absolutely. There's a survivor in the documentary who talks about looking over and seeing his wife holding their baby and injecting poison into the baby's mouth or holding the baby so someone can inject poison into the baby's mouth. Yeah. And he survived by playing dead, basically. But his wife died, too. It's tragic. And, and yeah, lots of people died from drinking cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. But I feel like it's hard to make an argument that any of those people were actual suicides. It just was kind of a long con where they fell in with this cult leader. And he got to them in such a way that... They fucking killed themselves. Yeah, it's very unlikely anyone joined his cult initially with the intent that they would be killing themselves at the end of it, or that would be something that they'd want to do. That's something they were misled. Right. And what's 
especially sad about the body count is after it first happened, they were like, oh, it looks like about four or 500 people. And what they realized is a lot of adults fell on top of kids that had also died. So they start pulling the adults out of there and they're like, oh, no, there's also hundreds and hundreds of kids who died. It's pretty horrific event. And history has written it off as this was a bunch of cult members who committed suicide. Yeah, that's how I remember it was. um, It was explained to me, at least in the 90s. That's the way I've always heard it, too. And it's definitely not that. But that's generally the the accepted version of events. That's how history has painted this as just a simple cult that took things to the most extreme end possible. And then there's a really sad part in the documentary about how a lot of the families couldn't afford to bring the bodies back. And then when they did get the bodies back, a lot of cemeteries wouldn't take them because they considered these people to be cult members and they didn't want that stink on their cemetery. Yeah. That's sad. So it's, it's super tragic. Yeah. It's not just a bunch of people drinking Kool-Aid out of their own volition saying, yeah, I'm going to die. It was there. I mean, it was completely tragic and awful. And if people who were trying to leave would be shot with crossbows and kids were being murdered by their own parents. I mean, that's, that's not the story that was presented to me. And after all that, it turns out the CIA might have been involved, too. And that's what we're going to be talking about for, it's probably going to take a month, I think. I don't know. So, it's going to take a few episodes to get through Yeah. This, this theory that Jonestown was actually a CIA medical experiment. Which is like, yeah, of course they wouldn't want to publicize that because when all is said and done, 918 people died. Right. Bad look for the CIA. <laughs> Especially fresh off the church committee hearings. Yes. See, we should probably even do an episode about that as part of all this. But I think next week's episode is going to be about Operation Paperclip, which is the effort to integrate Nazi government officials and scientists into the American government. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's just a thing that happened. We have declassified all the documents about it. Yeah. Until then, FISA... Thank you for doing this episode. Do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, I do. Thanks for having me. Um, I have a weekly podcast called Facial Recognition Comedy where I shoot the shit with other people who look like me and some people who don't. Um, New episode every Tuesday. I'm hosting a late night show this month, uh, one day only, on February 19th. It's live streaming, 7 p.m. PST, 10 p.m. EST. And I also have a Facial Recognition Comedy stand-up show the week after February 26, 7 p.m. PST as well, which will be live streaming online. And uh, if anyone wants to hit me up, contact me, stay in touch, I'm at Fizza Dasani on all platforms. F-I-Z-A-A-D-O-S-A-N-I. I am also at Fizza Dasani on all platforms. Weird, <laughs> huh? uh, no, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Adam Todd Brown. That's Todd with one D, you jerks. Uh... <laughs> patreon.com slash unpops or unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech you can get bonus episodes and things of the like and uh i think that's it let's get the fuck out of here fizza say goodbye goodbye dip set goodbye everybody jonestown